podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to another episode of Scouser Tommies. I'm Jim Boardman and I'm delighted to say that I'm joined today once again by Tony Evans as we try and have a look at what's going on with Liverpool Football Club. Um, you know, from a Liverpool perspective though, what it, what it's like being in the city as a red and, um, and growing up in the city as a red and all the rest of it. And well, Tony, you definitely grew up in the city as a red, I would say. I mean, you, you were, you were right in the, in the heart of the city growing up and right in the heart of all the, um, the rivalry as well, I would say, or the Liverpool Everton rivalry back when they were good. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, the major- well, when I was born, Liverpool were in the second division. Yeah. So, you know, it's, uh, the majority of people were blues, rounders, you know. Uh, everyone says that Scotland Roads was you know, largely blue, and it was right. It's, uh, that's something that's changed over my lifetime. I was thinking the other day about it, and I was thinking, oh, you know, I can't remember going to the away games with some of you know my closest mates from school, and then suddenly struck me that they were all Evertonians. Yeah. And it, it's I, I we used to go to Goodison all the time with them. They come to Anfield, you know, when before you start going away and all that. So there was a lot of crossover there. But that is definitely one thing I've seen in the course of my lifetime: the change in balance of support in the city yeah. as Liverpool become more successful, and you know, and, and now. I think, despite all this people's club stuff that you get from coming out of uh, Goodison Park, it, it's we, we are in the majority. Yeah, definitely, and and um, I think what what rubs them up the wrong way a bit more as well is that um, when you see red shirts around the city, they might not actually be people from Liverpool because it's um, some you know it's a much more of a tourist destination than it ever was. Thatcher would have been. Very disappointed in how well the city's starting to do these days, but um, there's people from all over come to support Liverpool and come to sort of see the city and see see what the club's all about. And I think I'm not sure the Evertonians are too keen on that. I remember getting I got off the train at Lime Street once, and I'm not really sure why why he said this, but with my daughter and this this blue came over and said. Oh, just just come from Norway, have you? And I'm like, well, I don't know about you, but I've not, I've never caught a train from Lime Street to Norway. But you know, maybe he's not, you know, something I don't. But it's that thing. They just, I don't know. It's sort of they don't like the idea that that we'll love the world over. Well, yeah. I mean, I've, I've probably told this story before, but I'm going to tell it again. I was in, uh, I was, I was in London. It was the, it was the week. Uh, it was the Thursday after beating Real Madrid at Anfield four 0 and before mm. we beat. Man United 4-1, so it must have, what, 2009, was it? Yeah. The top of my head, yeah? 2009. Anyway, I, I was going into a um, I was going into a West End restaurant, you know, sort of, to me, I don't know, I'm sounding like I'm name-dropping here, <laughs> Tony Adams, you know, it's, oh, yeah. um, 
and uh, so I was going to meet him. And uh, I've been to uh, uh, some other meeting earlier on in the day where I needed to be dressed up, so I was in a suit, so it didn't look like me normal meffy self, you know, <laughs> one of them. But as I walked into this restaurant, the downstairs part was a bar, and there was a fella in you with a, it was a bunch of people, and there must have been about 15 of them all around this table. And he saw me and he jumped up and he ah, so, you know, so I was going, and started, I was a little bit early, so he started introducing me to the table. Yeah. And the music was just loud enough that you couldn't, you know, so if you were three or four people away, you couldn't hear me accent on you. And I wasn't yeah. speaking much anyway. So he's introducing, ah, oh, this is such and such, you know, this is, this is, this is Jeremy's, um, uh, you know, he works in the city, this is Tony Evans, he's the football editor at the time. So I'm shaking around, oh, nice to meet you, you know, one of them. Yeah. Anyway, so go down the line and get to like the uh, fourth or fifth one. And he goes, this is where his name is. He goes, he's a blue. So I shake his hand and he says to me, oh, he said, Tony's red. So he goes, oh, well, where are you from? He goes, uh, Bangkok or Oslo. So <laughs> at that point, I gripped his hand really hard. And I, the first word he heard me say was Scotland fucking rolls. <laughs> <laughs> and you could see, like, he's, he, he was like, yeah, you know, one of them. So I was like, so where are you from, like? And I was holding his hands. He was trying to pull his hands away <laughs> and withdraw. Because all the hands was, no, so where are you from? He goes, I was born in Mill Road Maternity Hospital. So I said to him, I was born in 92A Burlington Street. I said, Liverpool 3. So go and look it up on your map. You're eight to Z. I said, the epicenter of Scouts. The epicenter of Scouts. <laughs> I said, where were you born? You know what I mean. Where, where, where are you from? Where are you from? It's not where you're born. Where are you from? So he was chill wall and I threw his hand back. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> and moved on. You know, and like, and he, he, you know, like, I was laughing. He was laughing and all that. Anyway, the, the, you know, so I, said, I, I, I just moved on, you know. And he, but he's probably he'd probably been doing that for years and years and years, and catching yeah. people. And their answer was things like, you know, Redden or South London, and all that. And he'd been humiliating people, you know. And all his mates were wet, wetting themselves because you know <laughs> they'd, they'd seen it. Anyway, I tweeted up about it, and the response from Evertonians are still getting. You'd think that I ended my story with I stabbed him with a big knife and like, <laughs> disemboweled him. You know, I mean, the way that you're acting. But, I mean, the truth is, they do this all the time, and they, um, you know, they, 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 they play this, like, you know, they're uber scouts, and, and we're not. You know, that we're somehow some outsiders, parachuted in the city, and they don't like it thrown back at them. And funnily enough, as a, as a coder to that, like, uh, I, I mean, my new book came out last month, and on the day it was released, to, uh, before before it arrived on anyone's doorstep, Amazon was like deluged with negative one-star reviews yeah. from Evertonians who sort of put coded references to that story, in. and so that's how sad they've become. Yeah, that you know, they're, they're, and, and I think it's really, really pathetic, funny in its own way, but pathetic. If, if, and, if they were good at holding trophies as they are at holding grudges, imagine what they'd be like. Uh, you, I have on my Twitter feed, which um, if anyone wants to follow me or hasn't followed me or something, there's Tony Evans 92A. I have an email address there for, you know, for people who can get in contact with me. And, um, but I thought and I get, that was very brave when I first saw you put that out on the. Yeah, I get bombarded with gay porn. I get signed <laughs> up to Tory newsletters. You know, I get it, it's um, you know once um, 
someone's you know sign me up for uh, penis enlargements, which actually was really valuable and useful. And I decided um, to get you a discount as well. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I used that. Um, <laughs> and but you know they, they do that, and you just think to yourself, well, I mean, imagine they put that much energy into I don't know, say fighting hunger or you know it's um, supporting the cause for justice over Hillsborough. You know, yeah. just a little bit more energy than. You know, the, but it, it is, it's really a bit sad. And uh, I, 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 I find it funny in its own way because, you know, you're supposed to be rivals and you're supposed to have a laugh at each other's ex- yeah. expense. But the level of bitterness has spiraled out of control, hasn't it? Yeah, that's it. Because, like, when I was a kid, I one of, one of my best mates growing up was a blue. And, I mean, it, it's like you, you like to think when we weren't talking about footy, we'd get on. But you're never not talking about footy at that age, especially in, in that era. But it was never, like, it never came to blows or anything like that. It was, like, constant piss-taking and, you know, and because they were more on a par with us when when I was growing up, um, sort of in the 80s maybe then, um, it, it was, like, sort of bragging rights and stuff like that, wasn't it? Because you win, you know, for every derby you win, they'd win the next one, or you might win the derby, but they'd win the league or something like that. So there was always... There was always something to sort of battle each other with, but I think there was still like a lot of respect for each other as well, despite all of that. And personally, back then, I was as glad to see. I don't know, well, I wasn't as glad to see Everton win as us, but I w- if if we couldn't win, I was glad if Everton could. And that that's how I I used to feel at the time. And I think that was more because you want your mate to be happy, that kind of thing as well, or you want your your family or whoever you know is a blue to be happy. But now it's just um, it's just it's just it's crazy. And I think I wonder myself, and I've said this a few times. They sort of spend so much time looking at us and having a go at us and blaming us for things that they're never really looking at, looking close enough at home at what's going on in their own club and the issues they've had since the Premier League started. They sh- they shouldn't have had those issues because you know why of all the big money in football why have they struggled for so many years and there's something there's something not right but they're too busy looking at us. Yeah, and, and one of the things is. Uh, I- I don't know where they've got this perception that I hate them, you know, just because <laughs> ultimately, like, you're red shite, aren't you? So it doesn't matter what you think. Yeah. But, like, not only have I, have I did I write a whole book which says the basic, you know, premise of it is Everton and their supporters save football after Liverpool and their supporters nearly kill the game. Yeah. Um, not only that, but, like, during some of those troubled years, how should we put it? Let's, let's, let's put it, um, let's see. Uh, we don't want to turn this subject into, oh, no, we're going to get sued yeah. because I've had enough legal letters. But during the, the, the bare periods of questionable ownership, I actually tried to write about it and alert the fan base to it and I actually worked with some Everton fans groups to try and um, to, to, to try and change it. And as I say, all it got me was legal letters and a, mm. a ton of pain. But, but you know... Um, I at least tried, and most other journalists didn't go near it. And, and my thought was, they're as important to the city as we are, yeah. you know, in in their own way. And anyone who doesn't think that is, you know, has got it wrong. And they're in. I have real concerns about the way things are going over there at the moment because if they do go down, they've got deep, deep problems. Mm. And, and and I keep writing it, and like, and they hate me even more for it. But you know, Manchester City are a threat to football as a whole, to competition. Yeah. But when the, when when the competition gets restyled, then Liverpool will be at the top table. Are you that person who has everything? The coolest merch. 
and those must-have fan threads. Well, over at our Anfield Index shop, we've gone that extra mile when it comes to pimping up your Liverpool collection. From our popular range of bespoke design t-shirts, sweaters, hoodies and hats, to our signature edition mugs, prints and coasters, all provided with fast worldwide shipping. We have something for every red. We also stock official LFC merchandise and are licensed with the Premier League and UEFA to sell official iron-on shirt badges and sleeve patches. As a listener to this podcast, you can get 10% off everything with coupon code AIPRO10. Just head over to anfieldindex.shop or find us on Etsy by searching for Anfield Index. Yeah. Everton won't be. And, and that is a worry. City are an ex- a bigger existential threat to Everton than they are Liverpool. And, you know, and, and of course, they love it because they're getting one over on us. Well, you know, long term, uh, it, it might turn out ugly for them because when there's a Super League and there will be a Super League, then when the invites get around us out, we're getting one. Yeah. Yeah. Then yeah, they'll make if we decide to have, if they decide to have a Super League Division Two, they might get asked to go in that. And yeah, I mean, and that's the thing though as well actually with Super League and stuff. I found I found it great in one way how the football world reacted as one into like that's not the way you play football. You know, you don't make it a closed shop that only the richest can get into. And you know, I really like the way everyone sort of shouted. But then as soon as it all got scrapped. A lot of the people who were doing the shouting went all very quiet because it turns out it's all quite nice for them, isn't it, to still have a Premier League? Because, you know, miraculously, maybe a month later, the existing TV deal has just got renewed for another, you know, just got extended. They didn't even bother doing any negotiations. He just renewed them. Um, and all, all these people who've got this, this great interest all went quiet. And, and that was what I found was frustrating because I know we, with you, you'll fight the fight. You, if you think this needs saying, you'll say it. And you're not saying it because you're thinking, oh, well, that'll keep my boss happy. You know, that keeps, you know, that keeps my boss's, um, viewing figures, ratings, reading figures, wherever going up. You're, you're doing it because you want to do it. But there's so many kind of, uh, on, uh, on face value, you thought they were, they were sticking up for the game when really, the fact they've been so silent since and the way the Premier League is and the way UEFA is and the way FIFA is, they stay quiet because they're doing all right out of a game, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, go back even before the Super League Project Big Picture, which obviously was, um, you know, the brainchild of John Henry hmm. and, um, and and Malcolm Glazer. Well, they were certainly deeply involved in it. Yeah. And Henry started talking about stuff like this to me the first time I met him in 2012 yeah and like I you know sort of I have been no means a cheerleader for Fenway Sports Group um everyone thought I hated them even when I was writing John Henry's letter to the <laughs> open letter <laughs> to the fans everyone's oh you're, you just hate them you know it's one of them and I'm like oh someone accused me of saying the asset stripping and you don't want to say mate I'm writing I'm writing stuff for yeah, them and trying yeah. to help them. In the right. Anyway, so so I'm, I'm not, not a, 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 the greatest fan because I think they've made loads of mistakes, but credit where it's due. They've also some good, some good things. Yeah. But he was talking right from the beginning about restructuring the finances of English football and not to make more profits. He was basically saying, we've got enough money. But if you want to keep the pyramid, you have to do something about it. And the reactions of Project Big Picture and the Super League was shut them down. And I'm fine. 
I'm all good with that. But what both of them should have been is a jumping off point for a proper discussion about the future sustainability of the game in this country. And it wasn't. And because of that, the vacuum will get filled. Now, there will be an independent regulator, you know, because we had the the Tracy Crouch fan-led review. Well, frankly, I thought that was... Quite a bit of crap. It was and, just uh, it was like headline grabbing stuff, wasn't it? It wasn't real. Yeah. It didn't seem to me anyway. Yeah, but I mean, the the, the independent regulator um, uh, Sunak has realised that football is an easy, you know, sort of PR victory, and Sturm are the same. So at some point, Labour will commit themselves to a uh, a regulator in the next in their next manifesto and I suspect soon I'll get there um, earlier, probably, you know, probably in January saying that they're going to push it through before the next election, thinking that it's a, it's a vote winner. Um, The the Premier League are very against it. Well, they would be. Uh, It, it, it it depends what powers they are going to set up. Uh, I suppose that might turn out to be a positive, but um, long term, I am concerned about the future of the game because, frankly, I, I saw somewhere this week saying like Liverpool have only played Real Madrid. I think it was nine times, and they say, "No, why isn't yeah. that happen more often?" I don't want it to happen more often. No. The not, joy, the joy special? that is, yeah. yeah. And um, you know, it, and, but you know, I can see by from the point of view of the prospective buyers of the club, what they would actually like is Liverpool to play Real Madrid four times a year, maybe more, four times a year in the league. Big big viewing figures worldwide, more money for them. Not good for football. No, and I, I, I was thinking as well, like with this World Cup that's going on now and how obviously that's been led by money. Otherwise, we wouldn't be having... We wouldn't be watching World Cup after scraping ice off the windscreens in the morning and things like that. So that, mm. that wouldn't happen. But... I, I'm, I'm wondering how long it is before international football dies because these clubs own these players. That you know, Mo Salah wasn't involved, obviously, but I, I feel like it's only a matter of time before they try and do some kind of club World Cup that actually, you know, that's actually got big money behind it, gets everyone interested, and maybe moves around as well, and eventually sort of sees international football die out because. The players don't. I don't know about how true it is, but I'm, I'm sure the players don't get that well paid, do they, to go and play for the countries as much? Certainly not all of them. And it, it's it's more the honour, isn't it, and the the pride of representing your country if you're proud of your country. Not all of us are. Um, so I I just wonder is it is it going to is there going to come a time when club football basically cancels out international football? Well, I think there's a couple of things there. Um, the players don't get paid that much for the actual playing of the games and for representing the country, but it has a massive knock-on effect on the contracts. Sure. Um, so you know, so the, the, they'll always love that. Um, the, the obviously uh, the, the club World Cup. You know, there was the attempt to play it in uh, China, mm. and they, they they were hoping to to play it in Shanghai. And turned that into a, a massive thing, which COVID stopped. Yeah. But that that will come up again. And then there was uh, with the, one of the the big um, the big rows in my career at the times was when we did a piece on um, the, the uh, on on a club tournament in Qatar, and uh, the, the, there was um, essentially. 
there, there was each, the clubs were being offered two hundred million to play there, the big clubs and and all that. And it turns out that the paper was the reporter involved was conned by a um, a, a very dubious character, yeah. and we were left looking really, really stupid. And I had to do in my column and a mayor culpa and you know and basically say you know it's a, and it, it was one of those daft instances where I, I it was um, the story came along on a Champions League day. The, the reporter involved had been working on it for ages. Yeah. But on a big Champions League day, knockout, knockout rounds, come along and said, another paper's got a sniff of it, we have to do it today. And you, you, I was so distracted by the other stuff going on that one particular thing set me alarm bells going. I thought, this reporter's so rigorous and so good and he he tells onto stories too long on many occasions in the past, yeah. and you know, and which regretted us afterwards. And we made the stupid decision to print, and and we ended up looking soft. But anyway, about it was the day of the um, the day of uh, the memorial at St Paul's for Margaret Thatcher. <laughs> oh right! Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I didn't go. I didn't go. Um, Couldn't get any eggs. <laughs> anyway, I, I met I met I met JWH in um, in the West End, and uh, and we had we had lunch together. And he wanted to go and see the Times, so I said, "Oh yeah, come back, come back." Like so. Anyway, we go out, and we I try and flag a cab down. The cabby goes, "There's no chance of going east, mate." The old place is closed down, you know, for Thatcher. He said, like, um, he said, you know, you, you'd be way quicker getting the tube. So I said to I said to Liverpool's owner, I said, look, you know, uh, it's going to be difficult. You know, um, why don't you come another time? He said, oh, can I go on the tube with you? So I was like, oh, <laughs> okay. So uh, you had this bizarre situation where I take the owner of Liverpool on the tube. And um, we go to Green Park, and I go, and I ask the stupidest question you've ever asked in your life. Have you got an Oyster card? <laughs> of course he didn't have an Oyster card. Um, anyway, so <laughs> there is a point to all this. We go on the tube, and I'm sitting there. I'm in, in the end carriage, and he's looking around. He's never been on the tube before. So, he's, you, know, you know, he's a billionaire. He's on the tube, and I've got my head, like, sort of, my head down a little bit, like, and I'm, like, going, you know, it's... Um, mm, uh, you know, sort of like you know, I don't really want to be seen and have someone take a snapshot of the camera yeah, with them yeah. because at that time, as I say, the whole fan base thought I hated them. You know, so <laughs> it's um, so anyway. But we, we we got there without a problem, and we were walking through St Catherine's Dock, and he said to me, he said, you know, he said it was very very brave of you to take the blame for that story. So I said, um, you know, you got to, you know, the book's got to stop somewhere. Mm. And you know, I was football editor, and I should have, I should have seen, you know. And he said, "Well, he said because the thing is, are you sure you were wrong?" Right. So I said, "What? Well, well, what do you mean?" He said, "Because he said, he, he said your your reporter had all the facts right about how we've been approached. The figures were right. The um, you know, the 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 um, the, the venues were right." He said, "Like." He, he he had it all correct. He said one of the reasons he said um, he said that he he was sure about the story is he spoke to among others. He said like uh, some of our executives. He said like you know and um, so I was like oh, wow and um, and so I mean so yeah that 
I mean, they're getting approached all the time with sort of stuff like this, you know. So, so yeah, I'm sure we will see a we'll see these things take over pretty soon. Yeah, and that that's it. That's it. Is and it, it's money. Whatever happens, money money's getting in getting in the way of football a bit too much at times because um, it's always like if you've got more money then someone else needs to get more money to keep up with you. So then you need to get more money. This is how football seems to be at the minute. It's, you know, this this sort of fight to have the most money to spend on the most players and, and hope for the best, which, I mean, Real Madrid can tell you, having the most money and the best players doesn't necessarily mean you get the best team. We've seen that time and again with, with clubs like Real, haven't we? Spending fortunes on players who were just 11 individuals and, you know, and that, that sort of thing. But... um Another thing that gets me with the money on football as well, with the TV deals and stuff, is that we hear the Tories trying the hardest to get rid of the BBC because occasionally it criticises them, even though a lot of people watching the BBC wonder if it's biased, which way it's biased. It might not be the way the Tories try and claim it is. And they're trying to get rid of Channel 4 and things. And the argument's always about you shouldn't have to pay for it if you don't want it. What I can understand is the amount of money involved, why don't they just basically tax the money that the that, that, Premier League gets for TV rights. That would pay the licence bill, no problem, wouldn't it? Hello, I'm here to annoy you. I'm here to annoy you into listening to more of me and more of others on EPL Index. We don't just have the Anfield Index stuff. We've got EPL Index as well, which covers the entirety of the Premier League. And we have three podcasts and a whole bunch of really good writing on EPLindex.com. The podcasts are my own two-footed podcast, which is every day at 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, covering the whole league. We have a Tad Predictable hosted by Tadiwa. You know Tadiwa. He does Anfield Index. He presents a Tad Predictable before every Premier League match week. And then Kevin DeVries and his crew on the EPL Roundtable there every week after the Premier League match week. So make sure you listen to everything we're doing on EPL Index and follow us there on Twitter at EPL Index. Thank you. Bye bye. Oh yeah, yeah. But then, then you're asking them to, um, you're asking them to tax the, the rich. Yes, and, you know, of course. It's a, we see. I mean, it, here's the thing. You know, it's like I, we, we. I mean, we're going to digress into politics, and I'm sorry, listener, if you're bored. But you know what? Bugger off. We can do it anyway. Um, it, it, it's the thing. You hear conservative, and you hear, uh, conservative MPs and ministers all the time saying, you know, we're running out of money. We can't pay. We can't pay people reasonable wages. We're running out of money. You know, we, we you know, who's going to pay the debt? The debt will be left. You know, the debt will go to your children. A, a country's economy doesn't work like that. It's not a household budget. No. Get, you know what? The government creates its own money. There is a magic money tree, and they can create it whenever they want. For example, if the banks collapse, they can create enough money to pay for them. The energy companies, yeah, we can create enough money to pay for them. There's a war, yeah, how much money do you need? We've got it. I'll tell you what, kids are starving. Oh, no, no, who's going to pay? We're worrying about the kids' future. They're going to have to pay for this in the future. No, they're paying for it now, you dickheads. Yeah, they're not going to live long enough to pay for it. Yeah. And, and and they know that they can create money, and there are there are like a, a lot of really good economists who, who you know, who, who will explain it to you. You know, there's plenty of Richard J. Murphy on Twitter. Just go and look him up, and and he'll explain it all to you. It's really clear. It's really obvious. You know, there's you know, and all these fellas who've done PPE, and and women who've done PPE at Oxford, hmm. and like 
politics, philosophy and economics, for those who don't know, and yet they don't have a grasp of economics. And I found out, found out why by asking a couple of people. They all dropped the economics part after the first year because it's the artist part. Oh. Um, so, but, but yeah, right, you know what? You can create money. There is enough wealth in this country to go around. And equally, there is enough wealth in football for all the clubs to actually be comfortable and to make you know, reasonable livings. And the red heron is that there's player wages are killing football. They're not. They wouldn't be paying the wages if they couldn't afford it. And and, and basically, what, what like, like any business, what they want to do is put the blame on the workers. Oh, yeah. And the people you go and pay for, you know, it's like, yeah, I, you know, Mo Salah's overpaid. Well, actually, no, he isn't. He's just about got the going race. And one of the things, one of the, one of the questions that I had over the years about Fenway was that they didn't quite pay the going race um, unless they were desperately, you know, the, the reason we lost Raheem Sterling to City, which I still think, you know, some people still say Raheem Sterling was crap. I think he's, I think he was really good and still remains very, very good. Mm. And um, But they wouldn't pay him the going race. Uh, but having said that, they, they paid the favourite, Daniel Sturridge. You know, yeah. uh, sig- significantly more, even though he, he was, was never playing. And there's Sterling slogging himself every week at, at a very young age at a time your your career, you know, if you get overplayed, it can be, you know, it can affect your career. Was getting like 40 grand a week less. Or be, yeah, he, he was, was on, 40 grand a he week was still less. on his um, like youth payment, wasn't he? His youth sort of salary that he got as a teenager type of thing. Um, but I think as well, the other side about it not just all being down to wages, killing football and stuff like that, is that players don't, like, your agent will go off and sort your decent wages out the best he can get you. But the bottom line, I think most players still just want to play somewhere where they can, where it, where it is a nice place to play for them. So that's somewhere where they'll win trophies, somewhere where they'll get adulation from fans, somewhere where they'll start every game maybe and not win trophies, but they'll know they'll start every game. And to me, I mean, where, you're not, you're not, None of those players are running on the pitch thinking, oh, there's another grand just for running that last 10 yards. They're not thinking about the money at all, are they, at that point? And you're right, it does get overplayed that that's all there is. It's all about money. Same with all the strikes at the moment. Nurses and, and train workers aren't going on strike just because of money. The money's crap that they compared to what, you know, the cost of living's going up, their wages aren't, and they haven't done for a long time. It's not just money. I mean, the train strikes are also because they want to close all the ticket offices. They want to take all the guards off the trains and lots of other stuff they want to do. And they want to mess about with the safety of the railways and things. All And and the cost of the strike action and the cost of all that's gone on this year is probably costing more. But as you say, blame, blame the workers. But I think, yeah, with footballers, it's not... It's not all about money. Yeah, they love the money they get, I'm sure. They're not going to complain or turn it down. But I don't think Mo Salah... Um, Signing for Liverpool got the best deal he possibly could could have got. I'm sure he could have got a lot more somewhere else, but he didn't want to go somewhere else, did he? No, no, and, and definitely it's right. And, and and the other thing is, it's a, a lot of it's personal pride. I mean, like anyone, it's you know, if if you're in a workforce and you find out someone who's not as good as you, who's not as productive as you, is earning more, it makes you resentful. You're like, mm. you know, why aren't you paying me my worth? And they, that, there's a lot of that goes on in dressing rooms. So, I mean, people, you know, when, when say, for example, Salah gets his pay rise and, you know, someone goes, oh, well, that's the end of the pay structure. You know, everyone will want a pay rise. Well, to be honest, most of them there look at Salah and go, 
You know, like he's really good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, so that, it's it's when you get someone like, as I say, like the Sturridge situation, and Sturridge was really good. I was a huge fan of Daniel Sturridge, mm. except he couldn't get on the pitch. You know, he, he, his his problem was, um, you know, sort of unless his physical and mental state were completely aligned and, and perfect, yeah. then it, it, it's affected him. And it's you know, we, there are people who argue he could have played more. Um, and played through pain, and then there's you know there's others who say the opposite argument. He was right. I mean, I actually think he was right to do the best thing for himself. And yes. uh, I don't think he was mentally weak at all. I just think he to, to get his focus, he needed the set of circumstances to be right, and that's just a component. But when he's not playing, and say for example, you're earning thirty five grand a week. And you're the the young sensation of um, English football, and you see this fellow who's in an hundred and forty grand a week, and he's not he's not you know um, you know he's, he's he's barely on the pitch. You're yeah. saying, well, you know, they don't appreciate me, yeah. and 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 that was that that that's where we have so where we were and so and it's it's difficult to manage that and it's difficult to get it right everyone gets stuff wrong like that sometimes in football yeah but i think that was one of a more the, the most gruesome example of um the the, the current owners uh, the soon to be uh, late owners if, if yeah. i can put it that way uh, of getting it wrong and still Developing, still learning about how the game works over here. Having said that, they've let like um, they've let one of uh, the Red Sox huge stars, uh, you know, uh, an iconic figure for the um, for the for the baseball club. They've let him go this week, haven't they? They've um, which has caused outrage in Boston. Is that so, is, is that is that that they've sort of been stubborn and won't meet demands or is that um they just don't think he's worth that is that like is that a really bad judgment on their side do you think unexpectedly as well or? well no they've done a lot of that in in baseball simply because they can you know that the, obviously it works different from over mm-hmm. you know you've got the draft uh which doesn't doesn't play as much a, a, a role as in um as in american football for example or yeah. even um, uh, basketball but th- there are certainly different strategies to team building and they, they they haven't been shy in the past of 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 going backwards to go forwards to you know to taking the approach where they say okay well we'll be crap for a year yeah um and then you know but we will we have a longer term strategy you can't really do that in in the Premier League, because you've got to be in that top four every year, yeah. and if you're not, you're in deep, deep trouble. So, uh, you know, it's getting that. I mean, there's always been a slightly uneasy cultural mix there, where they've not been, um, you know, sort of the, the 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 way they do things over there compared to the way things are done over here. They've never quite got in sync. But I mean, having said that, you can't argue with you know three Champions League finals in a league. You know, no, that's it. <laughs> we, we've we've like we we kind of like. Well, when I was growing up, we were winning everything or, or most of the time. There was like I think nineteen eighty five was the first season I hadn't seen us win a trophy. Like you know, for years, I think the last time we hadn't won one was maybe I'm trying to think. It was probably like around about the time maybe Bob Paisley came in was probably. Did he not win a trophy his first year? I'm trying to remember, but he was yeah, so rare. Yeah, 74, rare. 75, we, you know. Yeah, and and obviously 85 was a horrible year for football and everything because of what, what happened and 
you know, the, the, the cup we missed out on then, which I thought we'd get, but obviously other things happened that were much more important than football. But that, that feeling that we were always going to win something, that became almost like a bit of an entitlement, I think, for Liverpool fans in the 90s and, um, almost a sort of thinking, well, we're Liverpool, we should win things. So come on then, win things without thinking, well, actually, yeah, we might be Liverpool. Yeah, we should be winning things, but there's other clubs here who are overtaking us. They're doing things differently to us. Um, uh, you know, and Manchester United, the obvious example. We were all crying about the McDonald's logo on the cop, fair enough. But that's the kind of thing Manchester United were doing to make lots of money to buy more players and pay the wages and all the rest of it, weren't they? Yeah, they were way ahead of everything. You know what I mean? They they responded to Heisel. Oh, hang on. We're talking about that, that's a thing we never talk about. Yes. Never, ever, ever. Exactly. You know, why, why don't you talk about Heisel? Oh, okay. Um, but they they come out of the post Heisel world with a much better um, a, a much better approach to it. And I mean, for example, they went over and they, they looked at American football and they saw how American football worked. And all they really come out of it with was that black kit. But that black kit sold like a bastard. Everyone wanted that black kit. You know, it was um, it, it, it just something that we, you know, we hadn't seen in football over mm. here then. And, you know, and now almost every club has got a black or very dark blue kit. You know, it's... Um, oh, apart from some non-league clubs, apparently, because they're not allowed because then the referees would have to buy two referee tops. So, yeah, so yeah. they're not allowed. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, they, they did things like that. And, and a lot of it was like pilot ice, sell it cheap, you know, and make loads of profits, but uh, you know, at, that, at the time when they were they were attempting to go, go global, and even the people involved in Liverpool um, during that period admit that we still had the corner shop mentality, while they were thinking department store yeah. and international sales. So yeah, we got we got left behind, and um, it, you know, I mean, there's that story which you know is probably not true. Is that you know the, the new stadium was planned. For the late eighties, and but the the plans were scrapped immediately after Heisel, and and all the um, hundreds of watt bulbs were replaced by forty watt bulbs in the stadium, and um, and yeah, it's probably that's probably not true, apocryphal. Um, I can't say that word, um, but but there was a little bit of that response from Liverpool. So yeah, we uh, there was still complacency there. And, you know, we were still winning. We were still winning up until the nineties, and then. But it, it it didn't take much to unbalance the club, and as it happens, what happened was a lot. You know, it was the you know the the, uh, the, the appalling disaster that was Hillsborough, which hmm. sent a club that was, you know, as I say, it wouldn't have taken much to knock us off kilter going into the 90s and then this cataclysmic event happens and no wonder we were in a tailspin and uh, it's it's it took a long time to come out yeah that's it and it's like i mean obviously with hillsborough we don't it's so far down the list of priorities what happened to the club itself because of hillsborough because obviously what happened at hillsborough is way beyond that but when when you do kind of just just set aside that for a second and think about it we we lost all those years of continuity didn't we because what it did to kenny it changed Kenny, you know, and, and I know there's people now who said he shouldn't have been allowed to resign. He should have been told to go off on a leave of absence, you know, stick Ronnie Moran or someone in until Kenny was ready to come back. And I think even Kenny himself has said he would have liked to have come back if 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 he'd had that bit of space. He just wasn't getting the space, was he, to get on and do what he used to do. But that 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 just 
that continuity was gone. Graham Sooners came in and maybe did half of the things he was blamed for, but not all of them. Um, you know, he did he did make some mistakes. He's admitted that himself. But really, once once that happened, it was sort of you know bringing Roy Evans in was a was a good attempt. But it we'd, we'd lost it, hadn't we? We'd, the continuity had broken, the string had been snapped or whatever, and trying to get it to to sort of thread back together again wasn't going to be an overnight job. And it and it did literally take all those years, even. Rafford maybe became came closest to it in in all those years, um, but that was undone because of a change of ownership and all the turmoil that caused. And then eventually FSG came in and turned it around. And for all the people going about FSG out, well, no one's got us even close to the league until they came along. Really, not that close, not on a regular basis. And that's and that and that is then the other side to it. The, you know, winning the league once is what we've done. We want to, We need to keep winning that league. We need to keep going back. It's so hard with the people we're up against. But you know, this this is the hard. I think now for FSG is to prove that wasn't just a flash in the pan. Mm, yeah. Well, I, I, one of the hardest things is I think we've said this before. I, I I don't think people understand what a feat it was to win the league, mm. and and in part because of COVID, but in part because you know people get wrapped up in the day to day. Um, you know, sort of the the roller coaster of football, and when you look at it with a little bit of perspective, and I, I go back, if I go back until about 2015. I spoke to someone at, at, at you know around City, and I said, you know, I said, hey, you know, you're, you're building a team to dominate. You know, it's like you you could be the first club to win the title five years in a row, and they said to me, it's set up to win 10 years in a row. Mm. And I mean, you know, this, this is a juggernaut and, uh, you know, you, you can take that any way you want. You can think about sports washing or you can't, you know, any way you want, but this is what city have been set up to do. And, uh, it, it's, I mean, I still think they'll reassert themselves after the, um, after the world cup and, and they'll be, they'll be coming good again. And, you know, they would have won it five times in a row, if not for us, interrupting it. Yeah. And when you think about that, I mean, for me growing up, winning three times in a row was the, the big thing, you know, Arsenal and Huddersfield. And, you know, you're like, wow, you know, these were legendary feats that were done. And then we won it three times in a row. It's like, wow. And then United did it. You know, it was... And, and then you look at City and three times in a row is the least of their ambition. <laughs> you know, yeah. the... the it's, it's the bar's been moved significantly higher, and that's the thing, isn't it? They've got they've got the players on the bench that I mean, they used to say this about Liverpool in days gone by, even when we only had three subs allowed and things like that. That Liverpool have got players on the bench that other clubs would would kill for. Well, that's that's definitely the case with City, and and that that with so many games to play, that's in some ways one of their other strengths, isn't it? That they can play sixty games or whatever in a season, and they can put a fit and refreshed team out every week, which is another thing you can't sort of understate. And I wonder whether, you know, financial fair play, they've tried, but they've failed, haven't they, to make that a thing. And unless unless there is something done across the whole of football, which I just can't see, because football as a whole doesn't think finances need to be fair, do they? As long as, you're, as, long as the people involved are getting what they want out of it. Um, is, is, is the way to go forward, I wonder, is to maybe start imposing rules on like well, but they tried homegrown players, but maybe academy players, maybe the subs bench only having so many young players, and that that could be a way forward. But 
that also then makes clubs think more about running these academies because I know certainly some clubs lower down the pyramid are struggling to run academies and stuff or you know they're, they're just not getting the funding they need for it they can't justify it but that was you know the, the way Liverpool could bring players through either from their own ranks or you know people they'd found at a young age at other clubs and they could shake them into a Liverpool way that's that's been so important to Liverpool's success down the years and I'm just um, you wrote recently about Steve Highway who as a player was a, was a legend and a lot of people don't realise how much of a legend he was and then after that he had a really long time with the club looking after the academy and you know I wonder if you know it's time to really football to start really focusing on academy so that we can bring players through Yeah it's I mean it, it is really important and uh, you, you look at the Crawford players the Highway brought through I mean Fowler you know yeah. Owen Jared you know it's like yeah, you know, you, they, they real often they, they were brilliant, and I mean, it, it, Julio wasn't overly impressed. He, he didn't think when you look look at the players that Julio benefited benefited from. Yeah, it's like you're like, how, how could he think this? But he, I mean, it, didn't he famously say, you know, he, he he gives me good people, not good players. You know, because yeah. uh, they, they they spent a lot of time trying to put, instill the right. Attitudes and the right sort of behaviour in them, making them into role models. If, if when the time came, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. So and and then you know, it's Rafa again had a different view of how you run an academy and and, and they did things differently. But what 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 is amazing is you'll get you'll get like sort of as as money becomes more and more important, the big clubs poach from the other clubs' academies and yeah. you know. It, it, you know, we've seen, you know, pay them some compensation and it goes to a tribunal. But, uh, you know, they're, Liverpool are also worried that the likes of City are picking off, you know, kids from uh, our area, our yeah. academy. You know, so everyone's, everyone's having, you know, and as usual, the biggest fish in the sea eats everything that's smaller. Yeah. And so so it's still going to be a... You, you've, you've got to be clever, you've got to be sharp, and you've got to try and offer offer any players. I mean, the bottom line in football, the two things that attract and keep players at clubs are money and medals. Yeah. And, and given the amount of money that people are being paid these days, I mean, if you're earning... Oh, I don't know what... Um, say two hundred grand a week, you know, which is a, a, a sort of top top level Premier League player would, yeah. would be expect that. You know, you 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 you're not going to care that much about the odds ten grand. No, you know, it's a, so you know, so you will stay a club for for other reasons rather than you know than, than just go for a small pay rise. But once once you start getting up on the high increments, you know, doubling your money, then, I mean, anyone in the right mind to go, and it's always been like this. I mean, I, mm. I had a conversation with Dal Gleish about it, and, and and he said, oh, yeah, he said, the reason he's at Liverpool, he said, you know, we, we got paid really well and we win and everything. Yeah. He said, you know, he said, yeah, if, he said, if people would have paid me better and I could have won more medals, I would have gone, you know. Yeah. I, you know, makes no bones about it, and, you know, the, 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 so... So that that's the important thing, and and that sort of getting that sort of um, getting players and getting them to believe they're in the right place starts off at the academy. You know, this is a place where you can grow, develop, you earn great money, 
and you'll win medals. And, yeah. and they'll want to come to the academy. And if if they find that the club has plateaued when they get about 22, 23, then they'll look to be off. Yeah. So so you, you better be winning. You better be paying at least the going rate. And you you know you, you you better have your systems in place to get the right kids to give you the chance to to be winning. Yeah, and it's getting it. It's, it's that. Um, it's just instilling it from an early age. The whole ethos of the club, and I think. I know we sort of boast about our club and maybe at times people laugh at us the way we are, but I think Liverpool is a special club and it always has been. And, and the sort of that attitude of Steve Highway was, was the attitude of the club really was that, um, trying to do things the right way. Now, obviously we did a lot of things the wrong way, especially where money was concerned, but you're right. We, we produce players who, who you would be proud to see play for you because they were nice people as well, which I don't know. It's just something about this club. I don't think. As much as we've had nasty players, I don't think we're comfortable with nasty players. As, as a fan base, we want we want nice players. I mean, um, Luis Suarez was the was the kind of player that that people love to see play. But the nasty side to me is one that a lot of us are thinking. You, you know, you can't reconcile a Liverpool player with that that sort of record off the field, if you like, or his non-playing attributes. And yeah, we we we've loved players that have just been absolute. Like Mo Salah, for example, is. You you couldn't ask for a nicer player, could you? And he's good. Yeah, well, well you, you want them to be gits in a lot of ways. You want them, you want them to be a git on the pitch. <laughs> yeah, Graham Sooners, I suppose. Yeah, was a slight know, git, like, wasn't we, he? Now and again. Yeah, he was absolutely. <laughs> he, he was one of the worst ever. You know, what a rotter. But like, you know, it's um, it was all done in the cause of the team. I yeah. think for me, you know, I mean, I I, I love Suarez. I thought it was great. I loved that mean streak in him. Mm. And I could live with that, except. Goes too far when you're racist on the pitch. Nah, yeah. that's a, you know, it's a, when when you're juve and you're spitting at fans. No, yeah. no, don't want any part of you. You know, it's um, at, at that point, it's you bring the club into disrepute. You know what? You can be a mean bastard. Don't bring the club into disrepute and don't do things that are that you know sort of that are against the spirit of how we as a fan base see ourselves and and that's I, I think that's really important because football clubs are about identity and you know yeah. and i think it's uh you know us more than anything and the other thing i'll say about it is that we do have attractions that other clubs don't have for example van dyke is the classic example yeah he played for celtic he'd seen what it was like to play before a crowd you know so he, he's at southampton he's going to move the three teams that were interested in him were us, City, and um, Chelsea. Uh, apparently, he went to the Champions League final with his agents in Cardiff, and, and people were coming off to him all the time. About two hundred people come and said, "You got to come to Liverpool. You got to play in front of the cop." <laughs> it's like uh, like half a dozen people, City fans, come up to him and say, oh, "You got to come to the Etihad." And like apparently, one Chelsea fan come up, <laughs> so you got to go to the bridge. So it, it was like you know, he, he was like. You know the, the the money was on. You know the the city would have paid them more, and Chelsea would have paid them more. But again, at the, that stage in his life, the salary and the money's got in the bank. It wasn't the the highest on his list. You know yeah. he, he 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 could see going to Anfield, playing in front of the cop, and you know and, and probably he was convinced by Jurgen that they were going to win something. I mean, to be honest, if I would have been him. I wouldn't have been convinced. 
you know, <laughs> at that stage. I was going, oh, you know, I, yeah, I might go down the road to City, you know. It's like, yeah, yeah. But 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 he came and he was the the big turning point. Allison again was the next one, mm-hmm. but. But he, Van Dyke's presence was the big turning point, and, and and he's an example of a footballer who didn't put money as the primary primary thing, and and certainly didn't put the certainty of medals. Yeah, you know, as so so it is more complex. But as a golden rule, the bottom line is money and medals. Yes, I think it's what an interesting what you're saying then about the goalkeeper as well. I've always thought the years when United were dominant. Um, you know, in big parts of it, people used to go on about how much Cantona was the difference. But I honestly thought Schmeichel was the difference for them. I think they could have done without Cantona, but they couldn't have done without Schmeichel. And I don't think they'd have won as much if, you know, they'd have won more um, with Cantona missing than they would have done with Schmeichel missing. Yeah, you know what? Like, um, Steve Bruce once told me a story, which I, I thought was really instructive. Ferguson wanted Bruce and Pallister to play high line. Yeah. And like they were like, because uh, neither of them were quick. <laughs> they were like, oh, don't fancy this, you know. One of them, like, we're gonna look stupid. And so Michael comes to him and said, look, don't worry about that. Don't worry about this. What happen if people get behind you? He said, like, um, I'll, I'll, I'll get something on it. I'll get something on it. Don't worry about it. He said, but what you've got to do is don't run to the ball carrier. Don't run towards the man with the ball. Run, like, sort of either side. Run behind me. Yeah. He said, because I'll 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 get something on the ball and you clear it you'll clear it off the line. He said, Don't worry, you'll look heroes. It'll be, it'll all be all right. And he did it. And you know, and the, the Schmeichel was was just a magnificent goalkeeper. I mean, probably in the Premier League, uh, I've seen or, or or the top flight, I've got to say Neville Southall was something else. Yes. You know, um, Clemens was a fantastic goalkeeper. Sometimes gets a little bit overlooked uh, because the way he left us. Um, uh, you know, but Schmeichel, Schmeichel was up there with Southall. He was just, you know, um, he was brilliant. And, I, you know, as good as Allison is, and, and he is, I still wouldn't put him ahead of Schmeichel yet. Mm. I don't need a VPN. I've got nothing to hide. <laughs> This is what I used to tell myself before I hooked up with LibertyShield.com. Not only is my home internet now fully encrypted, but I can now access all the websites I want, whenever I want, and do so from absolutely anywhere. As a Liverpool fan, I love to know I can now watch every match, regardless of whether it's on UK TV or not. My LibertyShield VPN makes sure nothing is blocked and guarantees me super fast streaming speed throughout that match. You can get connected right now with their software package, which includes a 48-hour no-obligation free trial and instant access to their apps for Apple, Android, Fire TV, PC, Mac, and Android TV. Or go a step further like I have and get one of their pre-configured VPN routers. These small but powerful devices allow you to easily connect every device in your home to VPN, making it the perfect solution for smart TVs, mag boxes and games consoles visit libertyshield.com today and use coupon code aivpn25 to get 25 percent off at checkout yeah but it's the closest we've had maybe you know since the days when clements was was his best and things like that you know it, but i just I, I always found it amazing how we didn't sort of realize the importance of a good keeper i mean simon Mignolet was okay but he wasn't you know he, he wasn't a, like if, if we've looked comparing him to a striker 
he wasn't you know he wasn't the sw- he wasn't the um the most salary of strikers he wasn't the Robbie Fowler of strikers was he and um another interesting thing you just mentioned there though as well mentioning Neville Southall he's one of the probably one of the two best players to have never played in a world cup along with Rushy maybe I'm yeah, sure there's yeah. more but they're the two that jump out at you because they were phenomenal players but they were Welsh so they never got in the world cup at the time yeah yeah and, and it wasn't a world cup in those days where like you know, you had 300 teams. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's, it just feels like that. I mean, is it me, Jim? Or, and you know what? I'm, you know what I'm like about football. You know, you, you've been around me yeah. for long enough and words of where four games a day is too much. Mm. Yeah. It's just too much. Yeah. They don't even put like, um, like loose women's only on once a day, isn't it? You know, it's like, yeah, it's four times a day, even, um, like EastEnders and Emmerdale and things, they try and ram that down your throat every night, but even that isn't on that many times in a day, it's just diluted. And isn't it going to be 48 teams in the next World Cup? Uh, yeah, it's going to be, it's, it's going to be massive. And, um, and you know, they, they haven't worked out how the groups are going to work, but someone has su- suggested it'll be three team groups. Well, Oh. That's just going to be the dullest thing. It's you've like ever Roy seen, Hodgson it? heaven. Can you remember Roy Hodgson had this great, great sort of record until everyone actually looked at it? And his basic record was he was good at little knockout things where you have little groups because you don't really need to win all your games, then, do you? You can kind of win one, draw one, lose one if you're in a four, you know, if you're in a fourteen group, that'll probably get you through. So three team groups. I mean, yeah, it's 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 just going to be. It's just going to be sad, isn't it? It just feels like it's all going to be sad. It's not going to have the excitement it's, it it does have. I mean, this World Cup's allowed a few shocks to come through, but I can't see it when there's a... Um, yeah, it just sounds a mess, and I just don't... It's just, again, it, it must be thinking, how many games can we fit in? How much can we sell these TV rights for? But to me, you're selling... Would you not rather have, like, 20 really good games for your money than 50 mediocre games? Yeah, no, just, um, again... Pile them I sell them cheap. It's um, yeah. it's no, it's not about quality, is it? Unfortunately, and then oh come on, you can't slag off my good mate Roy Hodgson. You know, <laughs> you, you know, you know how, how close we are. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, what a man! I mean, he. he yeah, yeah. I, I always remember him having a. He was explaining about you'll never walk alone and calling it a mantra, and really sort of sounding annoyed that we had a song that we sang and things. He. Um, yeah, the, the stories about him, he, I just never understood why he was so sort of, sort of fated as this amazing person. I just never, I never really got it. I'm not saying he was as bad as we made him out to be. Maybe he's not, but I think a lot of the time we were trying to redress the balance a bit because he wasn't God. I mean, that's Robbie Fowler, but he wasn't God, was he? Uh, well, he's not. He's a real narc, and everyone sees mm. him as this really avuncular character. And where he really showed his true colours was when England got knocked out by Iceland. And you know the the day after they did the press conference, and and he was like, I don't know what I'm doing here. You're England manager, mate. Yeah, you've just got them knocked out by Iceland. You know, it's like, and and he's you know he, he he's he, he can be extremely charming. Yeah. You know, in in the right, but most managers can. But he 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 is a nerd. And when he comes to Liverpool, funnily enough, it was at, at the time of a really. You know, it was probably one of the most difficult times yeah, we'd yeah. had. You know, in the run up to the sale and that summer, you know, all the things that were going on. And um, I just sort of sent a message through a an intermediary who was good friends with him, and I said to him, "Look, none of none of what's going to happen is your fault. You know, 
that's like, but it's going to be a really difficult job, and I don't see how anyone can succeed in it. And but you know, we wish you the best, and you know, me and Tony Barrett, you know, both of us at the times at the time, yeah. I said, we'll, you know, we, we we understand it's not your fault, and we you know we won't be inclined to blame you if if it goes wrong, and if there's anything we can do to help, let us know. Mm-hmm. You know, just. You know, just a, 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 I mean, you know, because I, I thought he, he might, you know, you send a message like that. What I'd do is I'd get on the phone and say, well, you know, why, what, what is the cause of this problem? Yeah, yeah. And and even if you don't agree with what you're being told, my view is always find out. If you know, if you're going to take a job, find out what the people who hate the company think about yeah. why. Yeah. Go, go, you know, it's like anyway. Not at all, not at all. So that was that was fine, you know. It's one of them. Of course, he had been, and there we go again. We have to bring it up. He had he he had seen apparently the Khmer Rouge document, oh, which, right. had, um, which had given <laughs> a, a, a jaundice view of the Liverpool media and mm. certain individuals. Uh, uh, me and you, uh, two particular examples of yeah. it, <laughs> and um, and so you know, it's one of them. But I, you know, that should have been a, a, a red flag to him, and. As it happened, it turns out that a lot of the stuff that went wrong there at the club, while the underlying issues weren't as false, he managed to overlay his own faults on it yeah. to make things worse. And you know, and, and and obviously so. But yeah, it's like um, a lot of the media sort of mythologized the nice guy side of him, as I say, and created this avuncular image. Uh, it was something that I never saw and I've never seen, and all I've seen is an uh Yeah, I know, and I think that even before he came to us, I'd seen him like time and again, just looking angry in interviews. Like if you if you dare to ask him a question after they've just lost, I know Garrick managers are not going to be happy after they've lost. I mean, you know, Kenny's quite good at um, the uh, witty riposte that doesn't sound so witty if you don't realise where where he's coming from. He can sound angry, but like. He, he sounds, I don't know, he's just got these grandiose um, impressions of himself as well at times. I mean, I think he's gone now from the game, hasn't he? I think he's finally had his last job, hasn't he? Hopefully. He's hope so. Yeah. Well, for his sake as well, at his age, you know what I mean? You know, there's nothing worse than seeing them limp on into the late 70s, you know I mean? It was like Mr. Grace on How You Being Served at times, watching him just coming yeah. on. It's like, almost like being wheeled on. Um yeah, but like the likes of him and Sam Allardyce, who obviously didn't last long uh, as an England manager, they were all the people who were made out to be the great managers. And I, I just never understood that. And I don't know whether that even goes back. To, maybe we can do another podcast about that, where you know how much of a control Mister Ferguson had on the media at the time as well. You know, and um, I, I think I think Allardyce. You know what? The, the one thing about Allardyce is that he was ahead of his time, and then yeah, with the sports science uh, and that, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I, I, I once wrote that um, that he was using Prozone when most of them English managers thought uh, it was a red light district, you know. <laughs> it's, um, and, and you know, and, and he was doing that. And what he did is he was among those who, w- w- essentially, he was one of Arsene Wenger's evil twins, wasn't he? Yeah. So Wenger come back from. Um, Come back from Japan with um, how should we put it? Um, n- nutrition techniques that yes. helped make his team, and and also training techniques that helped make his team two things faster 
and, 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 and more powerfully than anyone has ever done before. Yeah. And it was brilliant. Like, because he did it with such such grace and skill. Yeah. Uh, whereas the, the, Allardyce applied those tactics, but without the players who had the skill and the grace. Yeah. So it yeah. became the physicality. So he matched Arsenal's physicality without the skill and managed to neutralise it. And then along came Jose and um, and Mourinho you know, actually improved the Allardyce template because he brought a bit of skill into it, but still... Yeah. Enough of the uh, enough of the dark sides of it to, to satisfy anyone, you know. If that's what you're looking for, but you know, so that, but that's that's where Allardyce reached his peak. We kept being recycled and going on, you know, to obviously to England manager, and, you know, and um, what what would have been really interesting is, or it's really interesting to think to think about it counterfactually. Think of this group of players who have come through and have, you know. No matter what you think about them, they've reached the World Cup semi-final. They've reached a, um, a, a, a European Championships final, yeah. and and they're in a position here on Saturday where, and I'm no England fan, they're going into the game against France without any real fear mm-hmm. of the world champions. Yeah, you know. So, but what would have happened? And, and, and we criticise um, uh, Southgate because I do anyway, yeah. because he, he's 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 sort of he's not as tactically good as perhaps someone with this group of players should be. Mm. But having said that, you know it's like what if Allardyce would have had them? God, yeah. How would they have turned out? How would Allardyce have dealt with Trent? Yeah, yeah. He wouldn't have had him in the team, would he? He wouldn't have had him in the squad, he, mm. or he'd have tried to have him up front or something. Yeah, yeah, definitely. He, yeah, it's frightening for England, isn't it? And it is frightening actually that they are actually quite good this time round and it is worrying that they could go off and win it because we'll never hear the end of it will we so. oh jeez can you imagine I mean, we'll hear the football's coming home crap all the time Sir Gareth uh, Southgate and all yeah. the rest of it yeah well I don't know if England are England I mean you know I, I mean even England can't be as bad at pens as Spain so <laughs> but we'll see because that, that's usually England's favourite thing isn't it going out on penalties and then um, everyone just really really laying into the player who was unlucky enough to miss one of the penalties which well, yeah. me and Jay have said if there's one thing we don't want this World Cup it's any Liverpool players to be on the pitch when there's a penalty shootout because then it just you just don't want them having that bad name given against yeah. them um, just, just quickly, then we'll, go, we'll, we'll get going now. But you mentioned um, your book as well, so I think it's worth mentioning, giving you a chance now to let people know because I, I saw some of those reviews on Amazon, and somebody might have written one that was positive for you. I don't know if they actually published it, but I, they were ridiculous. Some of those reviews, little group of people, wasn't it? Like a little, little, little gang of Everton school kids, almost coming on writing bad reviews of a book they can't possibly have read because they've done them straight away, haven't they? So. Um, so, where, so where, where do people go if they want to get the book and read it for themselves? Well, it's, um, it, it's available on Amazon. It's uh, it's published by a company called uh, Northodox and their website. If you, if you go to my Twitter, I'd say it's Tony Evans ninety two A. I post stuff about that. You know, you can see it there. Um, you know, it's, it's quite funny because one of them says, you know, the 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 the, the, the plot is cliched and hackneyed, and I'm like, <laughs> do you know what? It's so complex. I defy anyone to start the book and tell me where it's going to end. You yeah. know, that, that's like, you know, it's one of them. So, but Do you even wonder yourself how it's going to end when you read it? <laughs> yeah. 
Well, yeah, because funny enough, when you, you know, to, to talk about writing, that's another thing. One of the things that's always, I've always sort of felt has characterised my writing. If I write something, I can go back to it, sometimes only a week, but certainly six months, a year later, and I read it back and I go, I didn't write that. Mm. That couldn't have been me. Yeah, that's I've done not, that. That's not how I think. Yeah. You know, and like, so the, the voice, the internal voice takes over. And, you know, and, and so, some, of, some of this, I mean, I think what, what people might be interested in is it's about two things. It's uh, about the, the the big break in British society that was Thatcherism and how people took responsibility on one side and on the other side that were taught there was no, no society. Yeah. And it's also try, it tries to be uh, give a sense of what it was like to be in Liverpool, particularly in the 80s. Yeah. Um, before I'm from the 60s and 70s, but particularly in the 80s, and give a sense of what that what the, what the city was like when it was under the most political, economic, and social pressure. Mm. And you know, and 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 the way it wasn't. And, you know, and it wasn't the drab place that you'd think it to be. It was, it was alive. It was vital. There was so much going on, yeah. you know, artistically. And, and, and there's a lot of music in the book. It's, you know, it's, um, the, the, you know, so the, the, you know, it's in part set in the music scene. So there's all that going on. There's a l- little bit of football on, mostly football scally culture, you know, like, um, yeah. Because if you're writing about, if you're writing about the city in the 80s and there's no football in it, well, you know what? <laughs> it, it, it's you probably weren't there. You're, yeah, you're writing about another city, aren't you? Yeah, but but you know, but it's not it's not a football book. I, I think one of the reviews on Amazon said they were expecting a football book and they were shocked by what they got. You know, it's um, and that, that, that was obviously someone who read. You only give me four stars after like, yeah. like you know, sort of praising it, giving me four stars. And well, it's a bit stingy, isn't it, lad? Was that not one of them? Is one of them who goes on? This is the best fucking thing I've ever read, or I've ever seen, or I've ever done. But I'm only giving it four stars because I never give anything five stars. I'm like, yeah. it's not costing you any money to put that other star on, is it? Just click a bit to the right. right. Well, I'll, I'll be honest. I don't care. No. Uh, I don't care about the Evertonians, and I don't care about you know the. But the the, the, the you know the, the thing is, it is what it is. You know, there is not a great deal of of uh literature that's come out of liverpool of you know that, that sort of you know you've got people like beryl brainbridge and you know and all that you know sort of and, and a lot of liverpool writers have written of of you know sort of moved away i mean i've moved away so i'm not criticizing them no. but i've written they haven't written about the city there's no there's no there's no book that stands out for me as a liverpool you know, you go. Oh, that's the Liverpool book you go to. I mean, and, you know, Kevin Sampson's Away Days is, you know, obviously set on the Wirral, and mm. you know, I, I, you know, I, that, that's a book I'd recommend to to, to anyone. But I, I can't think of any book that you'd say, you know, this this is a Liverpool book, the the definitive Liverpool piece of literature. Manchester does it so much better. Yeah. That's the only place, the area where Manchester beats us in literature. Well, certainly novels. And so there was an attempt to do that. And I'm not saying it's the definitive Liverpool book, but closer than, you know, perhaps we've seen so far. I mean, people probably put me right and tell me that I've forgotten this book and that book and the other book. But this, this, you know, was um, so. I, I, it's like know, Liverpool's the star of the, the star character rather than a character being the star character, isn't it? From what you're saying as well, it's not. Um, it, it, you know, you're not going to picture some actor who's going to make that role his own that with that name type of thing. It's more about, it's about, it's telling you about the city, isn't it? Using fiction, I suppose, but it, it, yeah, with it's, truth. It's, it's the defining, 
it's a defining component in it because whether people want to accept this or not, Liverpool has had different experiences to other cities mm. in the United Kingdom. Liverpool has uh, has had different problems, and Liverpool has been perceived differently by the vast majority of people, particularly in England. And there is a reason. There is a reason for Scouse particularism. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's uh, mo- most most uh, you know places who think that we're different. Uh, actually, you know, the 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 stretching a little bit. But Liverpool, as a city, is different from the rest of, as I say, particularly England, and 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 it affects the way we think and yeah. we do things. And this is an attempt to explore the, that, that 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 sort of. Uh, that that idea, yeah, and that's it. And, like, and, and as a city, how it's just sort of kind of branched off, hasn't it? You know, it, it, however close at one time it maybe was to other cities like working class cities and so on. That really, since the, the sort of eighties, it it kind of branched off because it had to um, it had to assert itself. And I would recommend anyone um, get onto Tony's Twitter. I think the link's also on the Anfield Index website, and get a hold of a copy of that book because it could be something good to read over Christmas and you know if you're a Liverpool fan and you sort of really want it I know a lot of people who listen to this really like to know about the culture of this city and what it all is and what sort of sits behind the club and the people here there's probably no better way of doing it than this you know someone who's lived through it writing about it so get hold of that if you can um Tony it's been great I mean you're on here today hopefully we'll be able to sort something out again soon as well and maybe next time we're on this World Cup will be over and done with and we'll have some real football to talk about Oh yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, let's face it. the the uh, The news is going to come thick and fast as soon as they come back, and there's going to be, um, uh, as usual, covering Liverpool. Thinking about Liverpool is dizzying. Yeah, yeah. No, as soon as the game over, and then there's a press conference for the next one, and then you you're trying to tell people, no, not not what he really said. He said this. It's just been twisted. And yeah, oh, I can't wait. Back to <laughs> back to the usual stuff. But anyway, Tony, again, thanks so much for being on. And thank you, everyone, for listening. And we will be back soon. See you soon. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement. And we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.